Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Corey Walsh Podcast. Today is May the 23rd, and today we're going to be talking all things NFL. First off, we're going to be talking about the not-so-chosen Josh Rosen and how he might be traded to his third team. And we're also going to talk about the Jamal Adams Jets contract dispute, along with talking about how, you know, Dak Prescott might start to be uh, need to be defended a little more. And we're going to defend Matthew Stafford as well. And we're going to cap it all off with power ranking the number one QB picks in the last 20 years. So let's just get started. All right. So let's get started here with uh, talking about Josh Rosen for a little bit. Um, For those who don't know, Josh Rosen was highly touted coming out of UCLA of his 2018 draft class. And if we fast forward on his career after only two years in the NFL heading into his third he is already in trade rumors to be on his third team. Now, is any of this his fault, per se? Um, little yes, but for the most part, I would have to say no. Josh Rosen, I mean, in college, was a superstar. He spent three years after taking over for the when Brett Hundley left UCLA by having over 712 completions for 9,341 yards with 59 touchdowns in 30 games. Now, we can't talk about all the good things Josh Rosen did in college without talking about the reasons that most college scouts were a little skeptic, and that was because what seems to be the case with most California quarterbacks these days, he was a little full of himself. He was very outspoken. He has a He's famous for a picture of him getting a hot tub in his dorm. Now, I'm not saying it was like a full wooden hot tub. It was like one of the inflatable ones, but still, I mean, how many kids do you know in college that also were able to pull off having a hot tub in their room. I guess that's just what college kids these days get to have if you're getting paid under the table. Not saying he was, but, you know, we're finding out more and more than most people are. He also, before entering the draft, said he wanted to be the most winningest quarterback in NFL history. Quote, I want to win the most games and the most championships. I'd say six titles, but if Tom Brady gets six, I'll say seven. S- Yes, um, you know it's very nice when quarterbacks. We all like it, it, like how Baker said a few months ago that you love me when I'm full of myself, and you say I'm like a really good leader because I believe in myself. But when I still talk it and I don't perform, you call me a head case, and that's what looking like right now. What Rosen is starting to look like. So. He also was famous for saying after being taken 10th, there were nine mistakes that were taken ahead of him. And let's just look into those 10 mistakes, quote, that were taken ahead of him. Baker with the first pick, Saquon Barkley, Sam Darnold, Denzel Ward, Bradley Chubb, Quentin Nelson, Josh Allen, Roquan Smith, and Mike McGlinchey. Um, I looked into all of these, and most of these names are very common, well-known, and they're all very pretty promising players, if not already good players, like Quentin Nelson and Bradley Chubb and Saquon and Rokon Smith. I feel that all these names are very solid, and I would say that these teams aren't really regretting their picks yet, and I, we already know that the Cardinals regretted theirs in some way. So... Let's look into the year one that Sam Darnold had as an NFL quarterback. Uh, he replaced Sam Bradford in week three, which is very common, it seems, for rookie quarterbacks these days to 
uh, sit on the bench, which must be so hard for three weeks until the team realizes, yeah, you know what, the starter that we have just might not be as promising, but, you know, we could risk having our young quarter get back and thrown into a terrible situation and maybe forever change their perception of the league and their self-confidence. So let's just throw uh, Chosen Rosen in there and we'll see what happens. Yeah, okay. Um, so his season wrapped up really smoothly. He uh, ranked fifth in the NFL in interceptions despite only playing in 13 games with 14 interceptions. He was seventh in sacks in the league, which says more about the O-line than him, but still, I mean, you could throw that ball away. He had 45 sacks on him. He led the league in pick sixes with four, despite, as I said, only playing in 13 games. He ranked sixth in fumbles with 10, but great news, he recovered first. He recovered the most NFLs in the league. He was first in that category with seven. He was three and 10 as a starter. He gave the Cardinals their only three wins of the year at that point. And he earned the Cardinals the perfect opportunity to have the number one pick in the NFL draft, which we can um, all thank him, I guess, including the Cardinals, as they took his eventual successor with the first pick, Kyler Murray. Now, let's just look. Let's face it. That was a terrible situation that any of those rookie quarterbacks would have been put in. Baker or Darnold or Josh Allen would have all heavily struggled in that offense. David Johnson has basically been a no-show ever since his first year in the league, and it looked like he was just going to take over. And we're not going to sit here and say Larry Fitzgerald was the wide receiver he usually is. He's just a great guy and a great, solid wide receiver. He's not going to make Josh Rosen look any better than he originally was. So I think it was very unfair of the expectations to be so high, and it only made things worse when Cliff Kingsbury became hired as the new coach of the Cardinals, and he was public in his uh, time in college saying how much he loved Kyler Murray. And that only started the rumors that Josh Rosen had played himself into the team, getting his successor only a year after they spent their pick on him. Now, what is very interesting is after they selected um, Kyler Murray, after this whole, will they, won't they, which let's face it, we all knew they were going to take Kyler Murray. I mean, it was the most rumored first pick ever. They're like, maybe we'll take Bosa as like a little smoke screen. And it was the worst smoke screen of all time. Because once that pick was called, I was not surprised. I doubt any of you who are listening to this were also surprised in that pick. And that earned him a tropical and very warm second relocation where the Cardinals traded him for a 2020 pick. That was their second rounder that was eventually traded to the Texans for DeAndre Hopkins. So Josh Rosen spent his second year in the NFL with another awful team, the uh, 2019 Miami Dolphins, a team that talent-wise were just as poor as the Cardinals, especially offensively. I would say their only bright spots in their offense last year were Devontae Parker, who only seemed to succeed with Ryan Fitzpatrick coming in, and Mike Gusecki, who also only seemed to show up towards the later half of the season. They basically had no running game, just like Arizona seemed to struggle in the running game. As Philip Lard, or Laird, however you say his name, was like their RB1 for like the whole year. And what was so fascinating is that, believe it or not, being on a terrible team is a terrible environment for a young quarterback, especially one that just had the confidence shaken of being a franchise quarterback for a total of 13 games and then getting shipped to another team who was thinking that they would make them him, the uh, franchise quarterback. And eventually Fitzmagic became the leader where they rattled out five wins and Rosen started three games, went 0 for 3. 
And uh, now the Dolphins were in the position where they had the fifth pick in the draft, and they decided to take Tua Tagovailoa over looking at Josh Rosen's potential, which, let's face it, no one was not going to take Tua or a quarterback for that matter. If you're Miami, I would rather take as many shots on trying to find a franchise quarterback if I was the Dolphins because the Dolphins haven't had a good franchise quarterback since Dan Marino, and the best good quarterback they've had is a competition between Chad Pennington and Ryan Tannehill for one season. So this leaves Rosen in another spot where he seems like he'll be on the move here once again. And you might be thinking to yourself, why should a team take a shot on Josh Rosen? Well, I would assume that it would take less than what Miami paid for him, which I would, which I think would probably be somewhere around a third or fourth round or a fourth and sixth round draft pick pairing. He is very young. He's actually younger than Joe Burrow, the first overall pick in this year's draft class. And I think it's really hard to gauge how good or bad Josh Rosen is, considering he has been on awful teams in the past two years that haven't really given him any chance to set up for success. I think that there are a lot of teams in the league that would not hurt to either try to find a franchise quarterback or just do maybe have him learn under a few years under a good veteran, then throw him out there. So the teams I have pinpointed Josh Rosen to go to, I think... Our New England was very interested in him when he was available when the Dolphins traded for him, and they didn't. Uh, Pittsburgh is another great team, seeing as they have Big Ben, and it's uh, the supposed comeback of Big Ben's coming up. But let's say that doesn't pan out. Which direction are they going to turn? It wouldn't hurt to have a young backup quarterback that Ben could... Uh, well, I'm not, I don't even know if Ben Roethlisberger is a good mentor, but... He'd be a great quarterback to learn under. And you know John Gruden's really salivating at the bit to get rid of Derek Carr. So Josh Rosen would be a great fit to learn under a Gruden offense. And Gruden had a QB camp. So who knows? Maybe they could have had a great connection. All right. So another big headline that's been going on in the past week is uh, the Jets and Jamal Adams here. Jamal Adams, the safety is a two-time Pro Bowler who's racked up over 273 combined tackles with 12 sacks, six forced fumbles, and two interceptions in 46 career games. The big issue here, as great as he sounds, is that he is basically sounding off that he wants to be paid more money, which makes a ton of sense. I mean, he's getting paid, I think, $3.5 million, which is very low. The uh, stats he is producing, but let's just face it, that's how rookie contracts go. And he is looking to become the highest paid safety now in the NFL, which would expect to net him at least 15 to 17 million annually. He is about to earn in that final year of his rookie contract, 7 million. We're not there yet, but he also has a one year extension. The Jets can exercise that they will have to pay or franchise tag him. And the franchise tag for the, is like no players ever seems to be happy that they got franchise tag. They just want to get a new contract. They don't want to get paid the average of the five top players in their position. They would just rather have continuity and just a solid contract going through many years. But let's just pause for a second because this situation for the Jets, as Brian Costello of the New York Post brought up, they've been here before. They've been here 10 years ago with a man called Darrell Rivas. Rivas Island, you might have heard of him. The best corner for the decade, I would say. 
Um, yeah, Jet fans, it seems like your life really can't get any worse because like back then, your superstar defensive defensive back, years before his contract's ready to give up, is already demanding he wants more money. And if he doesn't, he is fully prepared to seek a trade, which they flirted with last season at the trade deadline with the Dallas Cowboys, and Jamal Adams made it very vocal that he would not be disappointed for going to Dallas. Very ironic for the man who nicknamed himself Prez of the New York Jets is already looking to give up a tenure shorter than the amount of tenure that it would take a U.S. president to have his. Very interesting. Um, The Jets basically are guaranteeing themselves to be in a dumpster fire because the huge difference between that Jets team when Darrell Rivas requested his uh, either trade or extension was when they did hard knocks, and it also was when the Jets were flirting with Super Bowl appearances and having their sights set on playoff berths. And this Jets team is far from both of those goals. Their head coach, Adam Gase, is atrociously overvalued as a quarterback guru. Oh, because, you know, you can make Peyton Manning one of the top five best quarterbacks of all time have a great comeback season when he had insane weapons and was Peyton Manning. You really think Adam Gase made Peyton Manning the quarterback he was? I don't think so. Um, Adam Gase also ignores their star running back that they paid millions of dollars for, Le'Veon Bell, and is deciding to bring in the ageless wonder, I was going to say Al Gore, Frank Gore, to um, what, split the carries? You want Le'Veon Bell to split the carries with Frank Gore? Really? No offense to Frank Gore, but you have Le'Veon Bell, and you don't need to take touches away from Le'Veon Bell. That just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. They also let their number one wide receiver go away, who was really a two, let's be honest, with Robbie Anderson to free agency because you know what your young quarterback needs? Wide receivers. And I know they spent their dra- some of their draft capital on wide receivers. Um, I don't think the lineup of Jamison Crowder and Quincy Inunua was going to save Sam Darnold, and I'm not going to sit here and say these rookie wide receivers, which have a good have a chance of succeeding as like anyone in the league, which is very slim. The wide receivers are a crapshoot. It doesn't matter really where you take them. You can look at some of the highest taken wide receivers like Justin Blackman, or you can look at some of the lowest taken wide receivers like Julian Edelman, and you don't know who's going to succeed and who isn't. So I'm not going to sit here and say that some rookie is going to rejuvenate. I'm not even going to say rejuvenate. Or is going to help San Darnold become an elite quarterback, which I totally think he could become a very good quarterback. I'm not going to sit here and say that he is overvalued or he is like people. I know a lot of Jets fans are blowing smoke up Sam Darnold saying like how he is so great. I think he could be great. I think he could be the best quarterback in the division. But the fact of the matter is your coach and your roster are not helping. So the only bright spot they really have here is with Jamal Adams is really my point. And they're just, they're just like, they have a star and a half. I'm calling Darnold as the half. Jamal Adams is your star. Do not let Jamal Adams go just because you don't want to pay him early. You were snake bitten by Darrell Rivas. You eventually paid him, but that led to a short-term deal, which then led him to being traded to Tampa. And we all know how Rivas' career went past then. He had an off-and-on career with Tampa. Then he got traded to New England, became the star of their defensive secondary, and then went back to New York after officially getting over the hump and being a worse player. And the Jets were just very excited to have him back. When they, Let's be honest, the Jets should have had him the whole time. 
Adams is really not making it easy here, having his peons, though, state his displeasure about their contract. I mean, let's be honest, if you... You're just, it's like when Kyrie and the Cavaliers, when Kyrie was sick of being on the team and he's just like, I want to get out of here. Well, you're making your value less because now everyone in the league knows that you want to be available and the team who wants, who would have traded you now is getting less than what they would think you are because everyone knows you want to leave. You're actually hurting your value by letting it more known that you want to either be signed for more money or you want to leave. Because now that the Jets are like, well, we're going to get less than we want and we don't really want to pay you. And let's face it, the Jets are kind of in the driver's seat here because the Jets have him under contract for the next two years and have an option to franchise tag him for a third year. I do agree that the $3.5 million is very below his performance value. and But I do believe he should honor the contract that he signed. Every rookie signs it. You don't see every rookie complaining that they're getting underpaid. You got taken with a very high pick. The fact of the matter is you should play your games. And also the Jets, if you were smart, you wouldn't just do this dance saying that you're not going to pay him. You should pay him. If you let him go, you're just repeating what you did 10 years ago by letting your star defensive player just walk. And I'm sorry for Jets fans here because it's just a bad look for their team. And I already know they don't like Adam Gase. But, I mean, their structure as a whole is just pretty bad. They've shot themselves in the foot multiple times, and it looks like they are on their way to shooting it again. Let's just hope for Jets fans' sake that Fireman Ed will still be on their uh, side for these discussions. Another topic I want to talk about is Dak Prescott. So Dak Prescott's been in the news for quite some time um, in regards to his contract. It's kind of like the Jamal Adams thing, except Dak Prescott's already been offered the second most money in the league for a quarterback and he turned it down rumor has it has been the theme of Dak Prescott because it was rumored he wanted more years or he wanted more money or he wanted less years or he didn't like the money at all everyone is freaking out about Dak Prescott it's it's actually insane that a quarterback who is actually very solid gets a ton of disrespect and now when you look up Dak Prescott's name on the internet there's a lot of articles saying why he's not even remotely worth the money that he's getting paid, which that's true with every young quarterback that gets put this money. Let's face it. How many times have you looked at a quarterback getting paid and you're like, yeah, you know what? He was worth the money. Some Tom Brady and Drew Brees aren't even in the conversation for the highest paid. And they're one, like two of the top five in the league, and they're not. You know who's the top paid quarterback? Matt, Ryan, and Russell Wilson. Yeah. Russell Wilson makes a ton of sense. Russell Wilson should, as of right now, be the highest paid quarterback in the league. But Matt Ryan, do you really think Matt Ryan should be one of the highest paid quarterbacks in the league? No. QBs in the NFL, for the most part, get overpaid and make the market shift every time. Every time a new quarterback gets a contract signed, it's basically, oh, well, here's the new market for a quarterback. This is what all quarterbacks now have to get paid. It's very interesting. I mean, let's go through the total amount of money in the NFL quarterbacks have made, and I'm ranking them by what the most a quarterback has made is making in their contract in the NFL. Matt Ryan, like we said, is making $150 million in his contract. Russell Wilson is next, making $140 million. Russell Wilson's making that over four years. Matt Ryan is making $150 over Five years. That's why Russell Wilson's the highest paid. 
Jimmy Garoppolo is next up. We all remember that deal because, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo, the savior, the best quarterback that we've ever seen never play, got to San Francisco, showed a 6-0 and start against a really crappy schedule, and everyone was like, oh, man, him and Shanahan, they're going to be amazing. Look where we are with Jimmy Garoppolo right now. Now it's you can win with him, but that's about it. He's not going to win you the games. Because when San Francisco was in the Super Bowl and they were up in the fourth quarter, guess who faded away just as fast as every other average quarterback does in the league? Jimmy Garoppolo. Matthew Stafford is all is up there. Then there's Aaron Rodgers, which why is he not higher, I guess is the question. Very simple. His contract was signed after these guys. Jared Goff. Yep, Jared Goff is one of the highest paid. You know why? Because he came off the rookie deal and he performed in one year and he shifted the quarterback market. Carson Wentz, another one, shifted the quarterback market. Derek Carr is getting a ton of money from Oakland, Las Vegas now. Signed it with Oakland. He signed for $125 million over five years. Do you think Derek Carr is worth that? No. Well, what about Ryan Tannehill, who got paid a ridiculous amount of money? Because you know why they're getting paid this money? Because that's what the quarterback market demands. You're not paying based off talent. You're paying based off of promise. Alex Smith is another notably high-paid quarterback. So is Ben Roethlisberger. So is Kirk Cousins. We all know Kirk Cousins is because that's the only argument people bring up is how much money he makes and how he doesn't deserve it. You get the money that the market is worth. If you want a friend, there's not many good franchise quarterbacks in this league. There's not even enough for every team. So, of course, everyone is going to pay for the chance to get one, and you're paying for the hope that you finally got it, not because you're looking at a Kirk Cousins or Teddy Bridgewater, and you're thinking, this guy deserves elite money. You're doing, we need a quarterback so desperately, we are going to pay what the market is asking. Quarterback contracts, for the most part, like I said, don't earn what they're worth. They earn the overall market value. So this gets back to Dak Prescott. The most important thing is that QB in the, in, in the entirety of sports gets a lot of leeway when it comes to contracts. When you play a ba- pay a baseball player like the, the Angels did Albert Pujols, you paid him for the four years of the 10-year that were going to be worth it. When you're playing, paying a quarterback, you're paying for like just the hope that you'll be good. You're not paying because they pay, did well up to that point. Now, one of the issues here with Dak Prescott is that he is not an elite quarterback, but he is very good, and very quarter- good quarterbacks get paid a lot of money in this league. Over his career, Dallas has had the best offensive line talent in the league, which is one of the gripes that people have against him. Another gripe here is that Dak Prescott, against teams with nine or fewer wins, is a sensational quarterback. He's 35-11 and 11 with 75-17 to 17 touchdown interception ratio a 72.9 QBR, and he is second-ranked in the NFL in that category since he's entered the league. With 10-plus wins, he is a 5-13 record, 22-19 and touchdown interception ratio, and a total QBR of 55.3, which ranks 19th. But it's funny people say this about Dak because no one really seemed to have so many gripes about when the Eagles paid Carson Wentz because he is, quote-unquote, a generational talent because he's physically built, which seems to be the favorite comment of all draft experts when they talk about quarterbacks. Oh, his build is great. Mitchell Trubisky's build was great. Jamarcus Russell's build was great. Build 
doesn't mean talent. So I'm very confused by this. And Carson Wentz is beloved by everyone. And he is an injury-prone quarterback. And he is terrible against top above 500 teams. And he did not get these issues when Dak was when he was the quarterback and he got this contract. Now Dak's in the same position. And because I think it's America's team, everyone just puts the light on the Cowboys and says, how could you pay Dak? He is so average. But when let's not forget, when Dak Prescott won Rookie of the Year after taking over for Tony Romo and him and Zeke looked like gangbusters, everyone was like, I can't believe that Dallas just got their way into another franchise quarterback. And he hasn't really done much to make you not think he is this. Remember when Zeke was holding out and all the insiders stated that only two of Dallas's big three, that being Elliott, Cooper, and Prescott, were going to get paid? Last time I checked, they paid overpaid for Zeke. Ezekiel Elliott got a six-year, $90 million contract extension, which Todd Gurley's was $60 million, and that is already soured, but that's not really comparable. But running backs don't usually make that kind of money, and who's to say that Zeke won't have some severe injury down the road that will make that money just go in the dumpster? Then there was Amari Cooper, who also got paid on a five-year, $100 million contract to stay with the Cowboys. Dak, Dak is simply going to want to earn the same money that most quarterbacks do after their contract is over in their rookie deal. Dallas is really the one who screwed themselves here because with all the lucrative deals that they're going to eventually make with this big three, because I believe that Dallas is going to sign him. There's no way Jerry Jones doesn't decide to make a splash on him. They've already attempted to. It just comes down to getting the deal done. One could argue you could have just paid Prescott and Elliott and let Amari Cooper go because now they drafted C.D. Lamb and Michael Gallup. My point here is we're, we're so angry at Dak for just wanting the money that his market demands, and it's not more his fault than it is the leagues and the GMs. And now the Cowboys are going to probably start biting their tongues here that they just didn't give him whatever he seems to have wanted. Because once this Patrick Mahomes deal comes out, I can tell you right now, the market's going to reset so hard that we're going to look at these deals now, like the Russell Wilson and Matt Ryan deals I discussed earlier, and be like, oh my God, this is about to be a hellhole for any team that is in the same situation they are with that. Cowboys are in with Dak right now. Like when the Jets have to pay Darnold in the future, let's just take a minute and realize how much money that is going to cost because it seems right now that the average quarterback takes somewhere around like 15 to 18 percent of the team's cap and once this Mahomes deal clocks in it's going to be somewhere around 22 to 25 percent of the team's cap space is going to go solely to the quarterback and that's just a scary thought for GMs everywhere Another quarterback in the news these days is Matthew Stafford, the first overall pick back in 2009. Uh, his name has come around in a lot of rumors recently as the Lions seem to uh, maybe be moving on. He put up his house in um, on the market and rumors just started swirling everywhere that maybe the Lions are, for the first time in 11 years, looking to uh, move on from their boy, Matthew Stafford. The Detroit Lions have been a very competitive team under Matthew Stafford, and Stafford helped this transition of uh, finally giving the Lions a face at quarterback by uh, consistently putting up well above average numbers on a yearly basis. The Lions have been awfully built for the most part of his career. They've only had one 1,000-yard rusher 
in the entire time Matthew Stafford's been there. And that guy was Reggie Bush. Yes, Reggie Bush, who is more towards the end of his career than closer to the peak, was the only running back that has given Matthew Stafford any sort of help. It also feels like for the majority of his career, he has this label of being an injury-prone player. And I really don't see that being the case. Outside of his rookie and sophomore year and now this year, he missed in his rookie year, he only missed six games with knee and shoulder injuries. And then in 2010, he missed 13. And then 2019, he missed eight. Outside of that, he has played every single snap of every single game since then. He has a hundred and he had a hundred and thirty-six consecutive starts, which was second to only Philip Rivers among NFL quarterbacks. And during that time, he was insanely effective. He had two hundred and fifty-six touchdowns and one hundred and thirty-four interceptions. He holds several NFL records, including the youngest quarterback to throw five or more touchdowns in a single game. And being the first player in NFL history to complete 60% or more of all passes in each game in a season. And fourth most fourth quarter comebacks in a single season with eight in 2016. He also owns all many of the franchise records for the Lions, which isn't that impressive. But he includes the most career pass completions made by a Lions quarterback and most career games with 400 passing yards, which in today's game is kind of a inflated stat back to how it used to look then. Uh, whatever team honestly can try to rip out Matthew Stafford from another team here will be insanely lucky, just not cap-wise, as he makes a ton of money. I mean, this guy just lights up the field. I've seen, if you look up him on YouTube at all, just look up his highlights, He there's literally titles of videos that are like, he is the next Pat Mahomes. He was Pat Mahomes before Pat Mahomes existed, which is a little extreme. I guess, but he does make insane throws, and I think people are just forgetting because he's in a very bad situation in Detroit how good this guy is and that he could perform on another level. He would help any team that's looking to make it to the playoffs get another like a push to their chances. I think teams would be very lucky if he entered the trade rumors, and I hope that he can either find success in Detroit, which basically seems next to impossible, or that he can just take the next step and maybe make his career turn around in a way that we haven't seen for a lot of quarterbacks. A few weeks ago, I redrafted the Cam Newton draft, the 2011 draft, and if you haven't listened to that podcast, you should. It's a pretty good one. It's uh, available on the same feed as where you found this one. And I thought, hey, why not um, try to do another power ranking? I'm not going to redraft the whole thing because that would once again take like an entire podcast to do. But instead, I um, decided I'm going to power rank the QBs taken with the number one overall pick in the NFL draft in the past 20 years. And there were 13 quarterbacks taken with the honor, question mark, of... uh, Getting, take, getting to be the first one to shake the commissioner's hand and look awkwardly into the camera and say, I made it, maybe. Uh, so we're going to start at the bottom of the barrel here. I think anyone on this planet would be shocked that I selected Jar Marcus Russell to be the worst quarterback taking with the first overall pick. Jamarcus Russell only lasted 31 games in the league, and he honestly came in as quickly as he left. 
the NFL. I mean, he was touted as his quarterback with legendary arm strength. He was the quarterback who threw on his knees for 70 yards. Well, this was a Harlem Globetrotters tryout. Jamarcus Russell would have been a sensational addition to the Oakland Raiders. But instead, he ended his career in Oakland with just seven wins. Yep. Seven wins. That's pretty sweet for the fans of the Black Hole who honestly feel like all their joy has been sucked into one. He ended his career with over 4,000 passing yards, 18 touchdowns, and 23 interceptions in three seasons. That sounds more like a below-average quarterback in the NFL today. And Jamarcus Russell mustered up those numbers all the way back in, like, 2007. All right, so uh, moving on to not so much better is uh, David Carr. I mean, his career lasted much longer than Jamarcus Russell. He uh, was drafted by the Texans, and he was 23-56 and 56 overall in his career. He was a Texans starter from 2002 to 2006, holding the legendary honor, which I would be surprised if it ever gets beat, is a 76-sack season. Yes, 76 sacks in a season. He is not a defensive end, as we remember. He is a quarterback. And his body took a beating, basically, of someone just driving back and forth into a stop sign over and over and over. And believe it or not, the uh, trauma of imagining someone is going to beat the living crap out of you every two seconds never made it uh, David Carr recover as a starter in this league. And he eventually became a journeyman and a destined backup. He did win a Super Bowl, though, with those Giants after for with his second stint with the G-Men. So I guess it wasn't all terrible for David Carr, and now his brother is in the NFL as well, and he already, I think, has a better career than David ever did. But once I don't think uh, Derek has the PTSD that David had to endure. A quarterback whose career is summarized by injuries that were more constant than the highs of when he actually played was Sam Bradford, who ranks number 11 on this list. He was for being a uh, very good quarterback when he was on the field, but he also was very injured and injured and injured and injured. He was drafted by the Rams with the first overall pick, and he went on to win Offensive Rookie of the Year, and he had a very average to above, slightly above average career, and a lot of teams had faith in him that he just needed a great situation where he wouldn't get hurt as he was traded from the Rams to the Eagles, the Eagles to the Vikings, the Vikings to the Cardinals. What a fun career for Sam Bradford. He was as brittle as a biscuit, and for the most part, he had one great year where he he definitely had a good completion percentage. He was like Drew Brees minus the substance. I don't know if that's a compliment at all. I am starting to think it is not a compliment at all. All right, so number 10 on this list is Baker Mayfield. It is way too early to give up on Baker after a bad second year with a new offensive line. We can only hope to see Baker on the rise as this list goes on. He showed a lot of promise in his rookie year. But it seems that this once-deemed savior of the Browns is now just an attention magnet for now. And we can only hope that Baker will take a step in year three to show why he was taken first, which shocked the world really when it happened. 
But apparently a lot of other teams felt that he had this potential too, as it was rumored that teams wanted to trade up for him, such as the Seahawks and the Patriots wanted the first pick to be Baker Mayfield. And I know it's Collins Coward's favorite punching bag, but I think we could see Baker easily go way up on this list with just a few more years of showing the promise he showed in year one. So this is going to come as kind of a shock, and I was a little split on between who to put over the other with 9 and 10. Another Oklahoma product, uh, Kyler Murray, I have ranked as number 9, the rookie of the year in 2009. This is based on the idea that he will take a step forward that we imagined we would see with Baker Mayfield. Uh, with DeAndre Hopkins now added to that Arizona wide receiver core and the air raid offense that Cliff Kingsbury will look to add onto from last year, I think Kyler Murray has a better chance to succeed than Baker in the sense that he is much more mobile and more athletic, but that also means that his career could be more gimmicky than what Baker Mayfield could do. And the only reason I rank Kyler Murray higher than Baker is really, even though Baker's been in the league longer, I like the potential of what I expected to see in Baker's second year. I am now shifting to what I expect to see in Kyler's rookie uh, sophomore year with this next jump. And uh, we're going to move on to the eighth-ranked quarterback on this list, and that is Jameis Winston. Yep, Mr. 30 for 30. We may not have seen the last of Jameis. Maybe security cameras haven't either at most places that sell crab legs. But he shows a lot of promise. But it all comes down to cutting the turnovers. He has flashed on the NFL field the way Favre played. But weirdly enough, he may be way more reckless than Brett Favre ever was. And that is why he decided to get his eyes surgically repaired so he could quote-unquote see better. But he has one of the weirdest off-season training regimens of any quarterback I've ever seen. And I don't think I've ever seen him really look in shape. And that's another concern. But he is very talented arm-wise, and he could definitely sling it for over 5,000 yards every year as long as his coach also doesn't mind that that comes with the opportunity to maybe be the next Mr. 40 for 40. Jared Goff is number seven, Mr. Safe Guy, basically. He is tied solely to Sean McVay's offense because when Jeff Fisher was his quarterback in his first year, he looked like would be one of the worst quarterbacks ever taken in the league. And we have this weird thing with Jared Goff where we're constantly going up and down about him. Do you not remember from potential bust to Super Bowl bound to what? Now he's average. Maybe. I mean, let's face it. This is going to be a very interesting year for Jared Goff because it looks like all the Sean McVay's offense might have caught up to him. Or maybe it's just that Jared Goff is making the offense look worse. And now that we lost Todd Gurley and Brandon Cooks, who were basically never on the field anyway, how how's it going to look when they're never on the field? That's something we have to keep in mind with Jared Goff. I wouldn't be surprised if I did this list next year and I had him lower and I had Baker and I had Kyler higher. Jameis might stay in the same spot because now he's a backup. All right, uh, sixth on this list, uh, Cam Newton. Say what you like about Cam Newton, but Cam Newton truly has had a pretty impressive career with the pressures of being the number one overall pick with the Carolina Panthers. He had an MVP season. He's a very overall solid NFL quarterback. He's been a franchise quarterback for years. He was one dive away from potentially having a Super Bowl ring. He's been very fun, very flashy. I would say that he has been overall pretty good. Just not as good as our next guy on this list. 
Next on this list is the once sensational, once heavily criticized, once uh, really just took the world by storm and is banned in most Madden games. It's Michael Vick here at the number five spot. Uh, Michael Vick showed extreme promise, extreme flash, extreme everything. The difference between him and Cam Newton is really that, you know, I don't think we're going to talk about Cam Newton in the same way we talked about Michael Vick. Michael Vick was truly the pioneer, I believe, for what Cam Newton was today. He really had an insane impact on the NFL when he was in his prime. And once he had the issues off the field and came back into the league, he had another fantastic year for the Eagles. And he truly brought a spark to the NFL that made a generation truly... Really, it changed the quarterback position as a whole and what most people conceptualized it to be. And that is why I have him ranked above Cam Newton. Not only, I think he was a better quarterback than Cam Newton was. I think Cam Newton is a very good quarterback. There's nothing against Cam Newton. But Michael Vick, I don't think anyone, it's not really an argument that I think Cam Newton is, is not as good as Michael Vick. This might be an argument, though. Um, ranked ahead of him is Matthew Stafford. Matthew Stafford is the face of the Lions franchise. He has played for many years, and he has had his job much longer than the quarterbacks I have mentioned before him. And honestly, Matthew Stafford, very rarely injured. He never had a true wide receiver or a wide receiver too. He is the definition, I think, of what you look up in the dictionary of what you get out of a number one overall pick in the draft. Very solid. Very low, very rarely is there a low with him. It's mostly highs. And I think any franchise that gets a Matthew Stafford for 10, 11, 12 years is very blessed. Because let's face it, it is not as easy as just going, oh, I got my number one pick, so let's just move on. And uh, we can just move in the direction with the quarterback we got, as we saw with David Carr and Jamarcus Russell. All right, next on the list, we got Alex Smith. It took a long time, but once the arrival of Jim Harbaugh into Alex Smith's life, he made Alex Smith utilized in the way that he was truly meant to play. He will never outgun you. He will never outrun you, but he will never lose the game for you. 94-66-1 as a starter and almost a career 2-1 to touchdown interception ratio. That record I just stated, though, is kind of deceiving because, actually, ever since he was introduced to Harbaugh, he never produced a le- losing season ever again in his career. Even with Washington last year, he was 6-4, and four, and every coach that has had him has sung nothing but his praises. And if you want to learn a little more about Alex Smith, you should definitely watch that ESPN uh, documentary called Project 11. That was a pretty really – it really is an insane documentary. I mean, Alex Smith, it only makes him like one of the more likable guys you ever meet in your entire life. All right, next on the list is Carson Palmer. Uh, Carson Palmer, the SoCal guy, uh, he is a great quarterback for the most part that was stuck in terrible situations. The Bengals have been a dumpster fire of a franchise for the later half of, like, I don't know, the past 50 years. And Palmer really showed them light. He was a thrilling NFL quarterback, and he lit it up with Chad Johnson and Hushman Zada. Then after getting traded to Oakland, which was a once again, Oakland, you really just are really suffering. My God, the quarterback position has not been fun for you. 
Uh, he got traded to Arizona, and uh, under Arians, he once again had an explosive offense. He was a great talent that was burdened of higher success, but the organizations and injuries, uh, that being an MCL tear in 2006, an elbow tear in 2008, and an ACL tear again in 2014, really ruined what was a very underrated career, I think, which is why I have him ranked third. This is going to be a very uh, angry response, I think. I have Eli Manning ranked second in quarterbacks, taken with the number one overall pick. Now, I know what you can say. Eli Manning is a two-time Super Bowl champ. He is a good quarterback that helped a franchise win two Super Bowls and beat Tom Brady and the Patriots in both of them. He is a two-time Super Bowl MVP. I would only argue that he is not the most talented quarterback on this list, and I am not going to list these quarterbacks based on their career. It is on the talent that they showed in the NFL and for how long they showed it, I guess. But Eli Manning is a very good quarterback. He is a borderline Hall of Famer if not a sneak-in Hall of Famer based on his career. But I also believe that Eli Manning doesn't deserve to be number one because we don't look at Eli Manning and think he was one of the best quarterbacks we've ever seen in our lifetime. And that is why I am transitioning it to the quarterback that was prophesized to do it all but left the game a little too early. That is right. I have selected Andrew Luck as the number one quarterback taken with the number one pick in the past 20 years Andrew Luck the next LOA that left too soon he was the most gifted football player on this list that one with pure talent and really nothing else Eli Manning won because he had great defenses surrounding him that gave him the opportunity to shine when was the last time Andrew Luck had a top anything in the league when he played he had T.Y. Hilton as his best player for the majority of his career and T.Y. Hilton is just fine but that defense was terrible. That offensive line was terrible. He left the NFL so early because he got banged up all the time because the offensive line couldn't block for him. He sustained so many injuries, including a lacerated kidney for this game. And by, But the level that we never got to see him play at was at a higher... He was already at a higher level than any of the quarterbacks I, play, I placed on this list. He had 86 career regular season games, and he produced a 53-33 and 33 record. He had 171 passing touchdowns and trailed only Dan Marino and Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre for the most in their first 100 starts of a quarterback's career. And one could only assume that Andrew Luck was, take, was not in his second act yet. And then that second act, especially with the way the league is diluting and becoming more even, that Andrew Luck could one day have held the Lombardi Trophy and would have cemented himself as one of the greatest quarterbacks we have ever seen. But he was definitely one of the best quarterbacks that played in the time in which he did. And for that reason, I have Andrew Luck taken with the number one overall pick of the number one overall picks in the past 20 years for quarterbacks. And if any GM was on the board and had to pick from the list I picked from, you could argue Michael Vick, but if you knew what happened to him off the field, you wouldn't have probably wanted to take him. And you probably wouldn't have wanted to take Carson Palmer because of his injuries and Eli Manning just doesn't stand out in that way so that is why I selected Andrew Luck as the quarterback on this list all right and that's gonna wrap up this episode of the Corey Walsh podcast if you liked this episode please subscribe if you haven't already 
And if you want to see these segments more cut up, you can also check out our YouTube channel at The Extended Cut, where we post these podcasts in shorter amounts so you guys can listen to more of it. And uh, just be sure to share the word, guys, and have a good weekend.